Yes, Lord, have your, have your way in us. God, have, it, have your way in each and every one of my brothers and sisters. Have your way in me. Have your way in this world. And Lord, we just pray that right here, right now, you will really have your way with us in our hearts, Lord, as you continue to shape us and to mold us and to form us and to help us, Lord, to grow more and more Christ-like with each and every passing day. And for those of us, Lord, who don't, who don't know you and don't call upon you as the Christ, as the Messiah, the Lord and Savior of all, we pray, Lord, that you will, that that your prompting and your pursuing, Lord, will cause hearts to be opened, Lord, in the, in the days to come. Because it is your desire that none would perish. But in your grace and your mercy, you leave it up to us. You don't force us upon you. You pursue us, though, uh, as some preachers have said, the hounds of heaven keep knocking at the doors of our hearts whether we haven't decided to open that door to our hearts or whether we have because you want more and more of us. You want to take our lives and, and transform them and form them and, and help us, Lord, to be faithful and righteous and to just grow in all of that, God. And I just pray for uh, this sermon time um, that you would be glorified and that your Holy Spirit would just uh, work in each and every one of our hearts, Lord, and you would take these, uh, these small words that I bring and uh, make them a spiritual meal for your people. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated and good morning. Well, I'm going to give you briefly, and this is actually the beginning of my, my sermon, just... Uh, if Ashley had not stepped up, what you might have heard had that not happened. And Father Jose would have called me to help him lead you all in worship. We declare that the kingdom of God is here. We declare that the kingdom of God is here. Around you, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame men are walking. I'll stop singing now. But that's some, actually, that is how I wanted to begin, because that's the kingdom of God. We declare it. It is here. The dead live. Sickness and disease are healed. The good news of the kingdom of God is here in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. And today's gospel reading is central to the message of the kingdom of God. If you... If you had to summarize it in as few words as possible, that statement, you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, would be a good place to start. But before we get to that point, in chapter 16, we've got some characters in our, uh, you know, in our gospel. And of course, we've got the disciples that, uh, that are with Jesus, that have have been with Jesus. And of course, we've, we have the Pharisees. And, and actually, Jesus and His disciples have arrived in Caesarea Philippi. I think largely to just get away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Because, as we know, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They weren't convinced by all the, the, the many, many healings that he did because there were others who claimed that, uh, that they you know, miraculously healed uh, people. He cast out demons, but they weren't buying it. And they hate Jesus. Their hearts are, are hard. Their hearts are hard. Um, and they want to stop his teaching. And, they want to, and their teaching is bad for Jesus's disciples. And, uh, you know, Jesus uh, tells him, tells them this. And then we have the disciples, as we, we hear a little bit more about them in verses 5 to 12. They're, they're following Jesus, and, and especially these 12. As we know, they were called by Jesus. They gave up their lives, what they were doing. We've, we've got, uh, you know, the, at least four fishermen, and they were two pairs of brothers, and Jesus came, said, follow me, and away they went. And, and one I always, uh, always loved was James and John. Jesus, follow me. And then poor old dad is sitting out in the water in the boat by himself. And I always wonder what went through his mind as his boys are, or as his men, you know, are, well, actually one of them was still close to a, a, a boy, John, but as, as they walk away. And their knowledge of Jesus and their beliefs are growing as Christians grow. Actually, you know, we you can even take it, you know, as as we as people grow. You know, we start out and we see children as as they grow. And I was definitely reminded of this after spending five uh, days last week, a week ago, with my 17-year-old nephew, because I remember this little guy when he was, uh, you know, barely a couple months old, and just to, and now especially to see he's going to be a senior in uh, in college, and you know, he's on the cusp of of manhood. And, you know, that analogy, we, our walk with Christ um, should grow. And these disciples, they're growing, but they're not, they haven't arrived yet. They haven't fully arrived yet, but they're going to make a big step. And they made a big step in today's gospel. But, but prior to this, Jesus, you know, says something which is, you know, I think, I don't know how they can't understand it, uh, Beware of the yeast or the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and the scribes. Of course, Jesus has to be telling us, you dummies, how could you forget the bread so that we could eat? But they forget that's not what Jesus had in mind at all. Jesus really wanted them to beware of the bad teaching of the Pharisees because they don't see the living God right in front of them, the Messiah who has come. And I say, point this out about the bread because what just happened actually between last week's sermon that Father Jose preached about the woman seeking Jesus for healing, he fed 4,000 with, I think it was seven loaves. And then just the chapter before, in chapter 14, he had fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Certainly, and these disciples were there and they participated in this. Certainly, feeding the 12 of them and Jesus would be no problem for Jesus. But they, they didn't get what, what he wanted. And that's why he chides them, you of little faith. Why are you talking about having no bread? They have faith, 
but it's, it's, it's growing and it still has got a long way to go, just like my faith and our faith. And we're at, in this room at, at various levels, but the key is, are we growing in our faith in Jesus Christ? So as I said, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi and kind of an interesting place for Jesus to choose to have his disciples declare for the first time that he is the Messiah. Because Jesus hasn't been going around saying, I'm here, I am the Messiah, I am the one you've been waiting for. You know, he calls himself the Son of Man. He does Messiah-like things. He teaches like no one else that anybody's ever heard. He teaches with authority. And that's what draws the crowds to him. And they increasingly are drawn to him. But he goes to this place, Caesarea Philippi. Well, you'd guess with the name, it's named after Caesar. This is a Gentile land filled with Gentiles. And actually, this place had a former name called Peneus because it was the center for worship of the Greek god Pan. And uh, this worship was anything but holy. There were orgies. It was a celebration of fertility and sex. And so in this place of pagan worship is where Jesus' disciples declare that Jesus is the Messiah, where God has, gives them a greater revelation. And Jesus teased this off in, in verse 13 when, when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So he's asking about you know, the other people. And, and John the Baptist and Elijah you know, are the, probably the, the first two names that, that come up and, and the ones that they, they most think of. They think that uh, people are thinking that, hey, John the Baptist is, is resurrected and he's back. Some say Jeremiah because Jesus is pro- proclaiming a similar message of judgment over the nation of Israel and Jeremiah was uh, stoned to death. Or you know, he's one of the prophets. So they, they think he's a prophet, but not anything more. And then Jesus asks his disciples another question. But who do you say that I am. And who do you think answers the bell? Who's always the first one to speak? Peter. Well, Peter says the most profound thing, the best sentence that he's ever spoken on his side of the cross with Jesus still alive. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I said, this is the first time that the disciples have called Jesus the Christ. And Christ is the translation for the Hebrew word that means anointed one. That's actually the, the Messiah. Come, that's a butchering of, the, that's not how the Hebrew word is pronounced, but it's, that's where we get the Messiah from. And then it's also interesting you know, that he also says, you are the son of the living God. Uh, of course, Peter, God is living. But it's an important distinction. These other gods that the people worshipped, they weren't living. And, and, and they were, there were their figures sketched on stones and things all around. And they would worship these 
inanimate objects that, that weren't alive. But right here, right there, was a living God in the flesh, in person. Human and defi- divine right before them. And God the Father was also a living God. So, I'm sure, well, probably none of you think that old, old Peter came to this understanding by himself. Because, you know, he, he, he often says some stuff that... Uh, you know, you wonder, why is he saying what he's saying? And Jesus says, you didn't get this understanding from flesh and blood, but God the Father in heaven has revealed this to you, Peter. And you are blessed. This is a holy joy that I'm giving to you, this revelation. And revelation is an important thing for us. It was, it was critical here because they didn't come to this understanding. And, and I'm sure many of you, as you look back in your walk with Christ, worshiping God, has God revealed things to you? Have, have some of those things that God's revealed to you been the most important things? in your walk with Christ? Certainly, when I look at, at my life, it's, it's, it's God, and, and, and I sometimes describe it, well, first, initially, I mean, I didn't come, I mean, I went to church, but, you know, I, I didn't read the Bible, and, and I didn't really get, you know, that Jesus is alive, and that, that uh, you know, I could have a relationship with, with Jesus, and that also, that, that Jesus could, could and really wanted to significantly determine and alter how, alter where needed, how I, need, uh, how I would live my life. And it wasn't anything I necessarily reached out for. Um, and actually, I found Jesus in New York City. And... Uh, I'm not going to compare New York City to Caesarea Philippi. Like when I lived in New York, I moved there 24 years ago. No, people would come. Oh, you know, they'd be coming. I mean, there was, there was one church at least. They would fly from Los Angeles out to New York and they did a church service during the week. Now, I'm not going to necessarily comment on how great that is, but sometimes some of the people thought, oh, you, this is just such a, a lost city. And then... And people, I would say, you know, I, I found Jesus in New York. And they would say, wow, that's an interesting place for you to, to find him there. But the only reason I bring that up is I never ended up in New York City of my own doing. I mean, I, I made a comment two years before I moved there to my sister on my first visit to New York after two days. And it was time to get out of here so we could go visit our relatives outside the city. I said, I could never imagine living in this city. And two years later, I did. And within a year later, uh, a, a classmate at uh, business school suggested that I go to this uh, Episcopal church that didn't even meet in a church-like building. It was the old, um, it was a brownstone second floor. It was their, par- uh, it was their rectory where the, uh, the priest uh, lived. But, uh, you know, they had significantly downsized from a nice cathedral-type church just about a block away. And that's where I came to know Jesus and I actually met um, uh, a man, uh, or I heard him preach. Met him, uh, a man by the name of Martin Mins, who was the priest there, and he was really the draw that this student said, "Oh, there's this, there's this great British uh, 
uh, businessman, you know, who's a priest. You, you need to go there. You're Episcopal. And I go, well, that would have been the last place I would have picked if I was looking for Episcopal churches uh, on my own. And then I better stop because it'll take away from something else I want to share with you later. But the other place I said I would could never imagine living is Los Angeles. And it's where I've lived for the last 12 years. So I am done telling God what uh, where I'm going to live. Other than... God, I, I really sense you, you know, I, I can't, I don't, I, if you tell me to go to Honolulu or Hawaii, I'm not going, okay? So just want you to know that. And I, I pray that to him every day. Please don't send me to Honolulu. So, um, but the point is how important revelation is. And, and I, there's other things I could go on, but. For, you know that to me was my my entry point, and Los Angeles has been a place that's, you know, further shaped me. And the disciples and Peter needed revelation, and they got it that Jesus was the Messiah. But as we will read next week, and as we know um, from our Bible reading, the verses to follow, verses twenty-one to th- twenty-three, Peter calls Jesus the Messiah, but he's got a whole different idea of who that Messiah should be. Peter, like all other Jews in his day, were expecting this Messiah to deliver the people, the people of Israel, from Roman rule. He would be, he would be the Messiah sent from God, but he would also be a political and military king. But that's not what Jesus was. And so... When Peter, I mean, when Jesus then, after they've declared him the Messiah, because he tells them, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to rise again. And Peter doesn't just say, yeah, boss, okay, I'm with you all the way. No, this will never happen to you. And those comments by Peter earned him the great uh, the great. Uh, Scolding, get behind me, Satan. That's how off the mark that Peter was. And, and Peter's just speaking for the other disciples. And, and if I was there, I'm sure I would have said the same, would have say, said the same thing. But in spite of Jesus knows that, that Peter and his disciples, he knows what they're thinking. He knows how far they've developed. But in spite of this, Jesus in our gospel, makes some incredible promises to Peter. In verse 18, he tells Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Wow. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So first Jesus is saying, I knew Peter, and the word Peter... In the Greek, also means rock. Jesus will build his church. And his church is a community. And that's actually, it's one of the few times in the New Testament that, church, that, that word, ecclesia, church, is used. And that word means assembly of people. And for Israel, it was the, the national community of Israel. It was the nation of Israel. But this church that Jesus has in mind has a totally different focus. Not focused on Israel 
open to every person from every nation. And your birthright doesn't determine whether you're eligible to join. And then also the focus of this community is Jesus Christ. We call the church the body of Christ, which kind of which illustrates this. Jesus builds the church, he's the cornerstone of the church, and he is going to use Peter as his first leader, as the rock, and as the foundation on whom Jesus builds his church. I am not going to go any further with this verse because there's a whole bunch of different directions you could go. The Roman Catholic Church greatly expands upon this, um, but I will leave that to somebody else or your exploration of that at another time. But I want to go then on to that second phrase in verse 18, that the gates of Hades will not prevail against and destroy Jesus' church. Death and Satan are out there to destroy the people of God and to, and to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. And death worked to take Jesus to the cross, but that was part of God's plan. And Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, I mean, he died for the sins of the world so that death would not you know, hold us captive forever anymore. So this new community that Jesus starts the church will not be stopped by anyone. And death will not stop it. Death did not stop Jesus at the cross, and it will not stop, and it hasn't stopped for the 2,000 years since then. And then Jesus goes on in verse 19 to tell Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. This is a... uh, there's a lot in this past in, in this particular verse, and once again, I am not. I'm only going to scratch barely scratch the surface because I want to share some other things with you, and there are people who could do a better job of that than myself. But I think fundamentally, as we know, the kingdom of God has entered this world through the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus gives to Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And it's really, it's a key. And the key, a key that opens the door. And it's opening the door to the kingdom of heaven for people everywhere. And they open it through, or, you know, Peter opens it by proclaiming the gospel. And we see how... He actually did that after Jesus died, rose again in in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit had come upon the the disciples, Peter preached the first sermon. It's his Pentecost sermon where he proclaimed the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after proclaiming that, and that he proclaimed that to the people of Israel, to Jewish people, 3,000 came to believe. And you could say right there that, that the church was 
had its beginning. But then he went on in Acts chapter 8 and uh, he proclaimed the gospel to the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, God revealing to him, this message is to go out to non-Jewish people as well. So Peter is the one who started it. Now, he didn't always, he didn't go by himself, but he was the proclaimer. And then as we know in Acts, by about Acts chapter 15, Peter is off the scene and actually starting, I think it's in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul takes over. And he runs out through the rest of Acts. And as we look at the New Testament, he's, he's written almost half the New Testament. So Peter was the one who started. He fulfilled his role. He died. And, and that's really what I believe what he did. Now, there are others who will say that, uh, you know, he is, he still has the keys, you know, to the kingdom right now. But, and that whole then, you know, bind, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and wherever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven, dealing with, that the forgiveness of sins and salvation is available to God's people when they believe in Jesus as Lord and, and Savior. They believe that uh, He is the Son of God. It's, and, and, and we fulfill that through evangelism and, and discipleship and, and ministering in, in word and deed, the gospel. And this message that, and this further revelation that Jesus gave to his disciples, it's, not, it's such a great message. And then we get to the last verse of our passage, uh, Matthew 16, verse 20, that he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Seems a little like, why does he not want to you know, proclaim that out? It's, I think, as simple as if the disciples didn't get what type of Messiah he was, certainly the people are going to think he is a, a political and military king who would deliver Israel from the Roman Empire. And, and then two, the gospel that he was proclaiming centered on the cross. So that could not be fully proclaimed to the world and, and really understood until after Jesus died and rose again. So this... Statement by Peter that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can we today, can we declare that with our heart, our mind, and our soul? I love that song that is sung um, by, it's out of uh, Hill Songs in, in Australia. It's very simple, but I give you my heart, I give you my soul. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to believe in him, and he wants everything. He wants our full, heartfelt devotion, and He wants to be the center of our lives, and He wants us to follow Him wherever that may lead. So a question that we should be asking ourselves is, do our lives declare that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of the living God? And I want to briefly... Actually, I'm going to read in, in total... Um, uh, it's actually a letter, or it's, a, it's called An Attitude of Gratitude. Um, I work at Los Angeles Mission, as many of you know, um, but I work in finance and administration. Now, I do have contact with students, but I, I don't um, 
other than the once or twice a year that I preach at our Wednesday chapel, you know, I don't have a, I don't have daily conversations with students uh, that are in our uh, recovery and rehabilitation program. But there was this one student that wanted to, he wanted to talk with me, so Friday afternoon he did, and um, I just want to read what he wrote. Um, he goes, "I arrived here in March of 2014. We have a 13-month." Uh, recovery, Rehabilitation, Christian Discipleship Program. So he's about six months into that program. And he goes, once again, hurt, lost, and scared, hoping to build my relationship with God after falling again. I have been a failure since the age of 16. That's about well, uh, 30 years ago. I did not graduate high school. I was put out of the Marine Corps. I did not finish college. I am now here in Los Angeles. I started a crack addiction in 1984 with my first hit on 5th and Main Street 30 years ago. 5th and Main is, is right in the heart of that, uh, that famous place we call Skid Row that's at the center of every one of those Hollywood tours you know, that, uh, that they have. Not. Um, and he says, I am here half of a foot. He's got some foot issues, blind in my right eye, kidney failure, and diabetes. I've come to believe God is not finished with me yet. Believing I can work, but also owning my own business, I'm being restored to my family, wife, kids, and grandchildren. This is all what this program has done for me in only six months. Believing in Jesus Christ, I have begun to ship items back home. For him, home is in Ohio. He has a wife in, <clears throat> in Ohio, although they are just about the divorce is just about to be finalized. I have checked on, and that divorce was in process as he started our program. I have checked on school and housing. I hope that when I graduate, most of this will be in place. I started this because of seeing other students who didn't have a plan. So I saw, what do I need to do? With this chance, I want to make the most of it. God is really helping me to do this. He's on disability, so he receives, 880, he receives $877 a month. And he says, what I do first is $100 in tithes to my home church. For the Bible says, will a man rob God? In Malachi chapter 3. I have a wife that carried me for 15 years in and out of my drug addiction. To my wife, I send $100 in cash and $250 in merchandise. And I pay another $100 in shipping fees. I also pay my wife's cell phone bill, which is $60. I have $100 left for me for the month. And then he writes, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, a man that does not provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever having no business ministering in the house of God. And he also believes in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, that, that God has a plan for his life. He says, I am now becoming a real husband, father, and grandfather. With your prayers and support, housing from the VA, drug counseling, school, a paper trail of all these activities, and perhaps a small business loan, I can reach my 15-year-old grandson. His father is dead and mother works all the time. I hope he doesn't make my same mistake and leave God like I did at this age. And he concludes, please pray, please pray for me and with me. And then he says, P.S., thanks to a staff member who asked a question during his first month in our Jumpstart program. 
What are you going to do with this time that God has given you? Well, he, I hope this expresses a little bit about how this man is living now, believing that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of the living God, and that he has a a will for this man's life, and he wants to walk in it. And an interesting thing, I did mention that his divorce is about to be finalized. Well, his wife is maybe having some second thoughts because of the change in him and, and what he is doing. And once again, I, now, I was going to share a little bit about my story more, but I don't really have time. I'm running out of time on that. But I did kind of say the importance of God's revelation. And we need His revelation. And we need the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit if we are to live as committed followers who believe in the very depths of our soul that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because we will see in, that, in next week's Gospel passage, uh, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus says, If anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I guess just basically, in a nutshell, what I did want to say about you know some of some of my walk, and and as I said, we we grow, and and maybe as you know. I'm here in, 20, in 2014, certainly when I look back in the 1990s as I was growing as a Christian, I'm going to say, boy, I didn't, really, I didn't really get it. And really was I, you know, how truly committed was, was I as a follower of God? And I think that's a good thing. I mean, it can be good. I mean, we, we, we don't want to beat ourselves up, but I think, I don't know, I haven't really found that God leaves me comfortable with, with, with where I'm at and that some of our, our human frailties and, and, and sinfulness. And, and, and I'm going to, because as I was preparing for this sermon just and, and just kind of writing down some things, the question of, and I, I still am not, you know, how firmly committed am I to following God and His will wherever He calls me to go? I mean, I really have to ask that question. And, and um while there was, I think, sometime in the last 10 years, I, I've, I've gotten cl- closer to that, but I still have a long way to go. And for me, the next big step is, as I said, I don't have a lot of necessarily direct contact with the men in our program as far as, you know, like spiritual things and, and discipling. Um, I have some other sometimes contact, which isn't always good things. Um, but uh, but I think the next step in my walk is to minister more directly with the men in our rehabilitation discipleship program and possibly homeless guests. Now the and so I'm discerning and investigating that process, possibly starting an early evening Bible study discipleship Christian formation group for interested men in our program. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's off, largely going to be determined by what the people in the program want. How. How can I and, and others who have an interest with me, how can we do that? And so my prayer is that I will not let fear, my comfort zones, or anything else keep me 
from following the Lord's leading and will to help men grow in their Christian walk and complete our, the mission's 13-month program and overcome the issues of homelessness, drug, and our alcohol addiction, other addictions, pastime in prison, other afflictions, and of course, just straying from God. So I pray that I will fully submit to God on this. And now I just, as I close, want to just turn to you. What is your story of your walk with Jesus Christ? Where are you now in your walk with Christ? How is Christ working in and around you? Are you ready to take the next steps of growth as a disciple that Jesus is calling you to make? Are you living? Is your life a living testimony that you believe and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God? I pray that each and every one of our lives would be a compelling testimony for Christ today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our days. Amen. Amen.